work used to be someplace that you would go. <laughs> and now work is not necessarily someplace that you go. It's something that you do. And again, the, some of this depends on the company and the type of work. Uh, you know, if you're working in a warehouse, it, you have to be there to do the work, right? But many, many jobs, and particularly those work-at-home jobs, uh, that's a concept that was really resisted for many years by people who just thought, well, we, you know, they're going to be goofing off. They're not going to be doing their job. You know, they're going to be sleeping late, and and they're not, and they're going to be watching TV and or, or out on the fishing boat when they should be working. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Performance management in many organizations has evolved well beyond job descriptions, annual reviews, and the dreaded performance improvement plan. And as the pandemic continues to push physical distance between managers and employees, many companies are looking for better ways to incentivize, motivate, and grow their employees in this new and ever-changing environment. My guest today says that many of the current and coming changes were inevitable. The pandemic's only accelerated them. Managers have to find new ways to get the best out of their people, and employees' expectations from employers are also changing. Dr. Derek Cruz is Associate Professor professor of Management at the College of Business at Texas Women's University. He's the author of the HR textbook, Mastering Human Resource Management. So he's done in one book what I've not been able to do in 30 years. He will also be discussing the future of work at the Fort Worth HR Strategic Mindset Conference on September 17th. Thanks for joining us, Derek. Thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure. So what do you, I know performance management is a a big area of your study and your academic work. I've been in HR 30 years and and you've been around at least that long. Uh, We won't start carbon dating ourselves, but um, what do you think in over your career in HR, the biggest shift in performance management, what do you think the biggest shift's been and how, how employees, employers approach managing their employees' performance? Well, the, the biggest shift really has just been within the last decade, and that started with a, a few large corporations, but and then gradually, just in the last maybe three or four years, uh, a few more companies are catching on. But many, many companies are still using what I would say are, are outdated uh, what we might also call traditional performance management systems. So the shift really has has occurred in some companies, and then there's many other companies that 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 have started to think about new ways of doing things. And then there's a lot of companies that are still using the same similar system to what they might have been using 20, 30, 40 years ago. In fact, when when we think about uh, traditional performance appraisals, for example an annual appraisal where a manager would rate the employee. You know, that system actually goes back several thousand years. We have documentation that the Y dynasty in the third century was using a raider to go around and rate the performance of members of the imperial family. And there's all kinds of problems that have been studied for most of the 20th century. I mean, we were we were studying... A, 
conducting research and you can find articles published on, for example, on Raider bias uh, from 100 years ago. And those same types of issues happened in the third century. There's there's uh, one comment in the record where people were complaining about the imperial raiders of the Wei dynasty saying that the raiders seldom rate men according to the metrics, but according to who they like and don't like. And and 2,000 years later, uh, the Industrial Revolution came along, and now we have more and more people in roles of this new job called managers, and and a system, the Likert scale, where you rate people on one to five on different uh, aspects of their performance, and you do it once a year, and you give them feedback, and that has stuck with us really just until this last past 10 years. And that's one of the things I'll be talking about at uh, the Strategic Mindset Conference. And, and this, this presentation is called The Future of Work. We've been hearing about that for several years now, but many of the trends I'll be talking about, including performance management, uh, really were accelerated by the pandemic. And I guess you, you could say in some ways that the future of work is already here and we have to adapt. Yeah, so the old uh, exceeds expectation, meets expectations, or needs improvement uh, that we saw all those years ago uh, I'm, I guess I shouldn't be, but I'm kind of surprised that those are still around uh, because I, I don't know that they've ever been particularly helpful to the employee or the employer. And I've certainly seen tons of case, situations where an employer uh, found themselves in a position where they terminated somebody for poor performance. And we look back at their performance uh, reviews and it was always meets or exceeds expectations for, for everything that we just now we want to fire them for. When we think about these performance appraisals, we need to distinguish between performance appraisals and performance management. And performance appraisals are what many companies are just doing away with entirely. But you don't want to do away with performance management because you do need people to perform, right? And it really begins with hiring the right people. And uh, one of the things I'll be sharing at the conference is five short mini case studies on companies that have ditched the performance appraisal system and are doing something different. And, and one of them, for example, is Netflix. And they have five tenets of managing people. And the first one is hire, reward, and tolerate only fully formed adults. <laughs> so you hire the right people, make sure that they have performance metrics, you incentivize and reward them for achieving those metrics. You provide them with ongoing feedback and coaching as needed. But then if they're not performing, you move them out and you don't wait a year to do it. And it also relates to right. the policies and procedures that flow typically out of HR. For example, a vacation policy. The vacation policy at Netflix is take one. <laughs> That's it. If you need one, take one. If you need a day off, take a day off. If you need two weeks off, take two weeks off. Just make sure. In other words, there is no official vacation policy other than that they say that it is. If you need it, take it. But the policy is perform. And then we don't worry about all these other little details. And But that only works if you did step one right. Hire, reward, and tolerate only fully formed adults. Yeah. And I think if we start applying that to many workplaces, you're going to have to eliminate a third of the uh, workforce right up front. I can see uh, immature adults being the next protected class in some states if we started trying to do that everywhere. 
Well, you know, some of this depends on the the type of workforce that you that you have at your company, and it's it's necessary to distinguish, for example, between knowledge workers and a professional workforce, and for example, um, entry level where you have a lot more turnover, typically uh, retail, um, the types of jobs where someone really does have to be there and at a, and start at a certain time and stop at a certain time and follow certain types of procedures. And uh, yes, I mean, that's, <clears throat> I guess that's what Netflix means by fully formed adults is hiring mature people. <laughs> yeah. That, and that would be, uh, yeah. And that, that, that can be hard to find right now. Well, and that's certainly true too. And hard to find and hard to keep, you know, we're all hearing about the, the great resignation now. The um, what so so workplace flexibility like what Netflix is giving is is one part of it. But what are some other performance models? You see, you mentioned getting rid of the performance review, which we did uh, well over ten years ago. Everybody in my company gets daily updates on their performance because everybody has numbers, production numbers, and quality numbers, and they get them every day, and they know exactly where they stand. And uh, we we have to address performance, you know, shortfalls. If we got somebody whose quality is low for a period of time, uh, for, you know, even two or three days, we're having conversations with them about what's going on there and where we need to improve or what's, what's happening. So, and I think that especially with the younger generations and uh, millennials and zennials and all of those, they love that ongoing feedback. That's what they need. They want to know where they stand and they don't want to wait till next January to find that out. And quite honestly, I don't know that my memory or my my record keeping is good enough that I can give them a feedback in a year about how they've done over 12 months, but they've got constant feedback. And um, so what are some other models that employers are using if they're not, you know, doing performance appraisals? How are they giving uh, employees feedback on their performance? Well, there's a there's several things that are that are happening. Some companies are using a performance management app. Uh, that uses a, a performance snapshot, or some, sometimes they may call it a performance dashboard. And it's similar to what you're describing, where instead of waiting for some period of time to pass by, a year, six months, whatever that might be in the in the company, that it becomes more of an ongoing feedback process, where maybe every day, or at least weekly, Employees can see what their performance is. Managers can see what the performance is, and they can have these ongoing conversations and dialogues about uh, identifying what needs to be done in order to get the performance back on track. So it's not so much an evaluation as much as it as it is really coaching. And in in a, a smaller organization, you may have someone that, uh, like yourself, Mike, uh, someone that. Uh, is really out there on the front end of this trend and is and is able to uh, coach each team member or maybe you have a small team of managers uh, small enough to where they're able to uh, provide to keep up with the performance and provide the type of feedback that's needed on an ongoing basis but in larger organizations where you have hundreds or sometimes even thousands of people in leadership roles you have a lot of people that that don't naturally do this and therefore, training managers how to coach is a real need right now, training them on how to give feedback and also getting away in some cases from the mindset that it has to always be a manager providing that coaching and feedback. So some companies are using peer-to-peer coaching 
where if an employee is struggling with something, they can reach out through a network and sometimes it's on an app and they just ask, ask a question, you know, I need help doing this. And it doesn't have to be a manager looking over their shoulder saying, do it this way. It can be a, a colleague that can say, well, here, let me help you with that. In our organization, we use, you know, uh, all our, you know, when we were remote, we went to all our telephony is on Zoom. Our chat is on Zoom and mm-hmm. our videos all on Zoom. And I can see all the chat channels that my employees in different sections of our organization are using to talk to their team. And they're asking questions all day long. We've got uh, a, a, a quality review process that involves sampling where the peers review each other's work uh, from the previous day and give feedback on uh, areas that, you know, things, you know, things that were missed and flagged. And we can, that's how we get you know, everybody's numbers. And it's at first it was really challenging to get, peers especially to give feedback to one another that that was seen as negative uh but mm-hmm. i think we've coached them to the point where they they really they know this isn't a negative thing you know they they trust us not to use this as a stick to beat them with it's it's you know so they're not hurting right. their their peer they're improving their team when they do that and uh but it's been interesting and i i'm i've been gratified by our employees why when i just drop into the different chat channels and i see how they're helping each other and uh, and I think that really has built a lot of team cohesion, even though we're all remote. Yeah, well, and that's exactly right. And, you know, something else that, that we have to uh, realize has changed, and that is, you know, we don't have 90 days necessarily to train someone and get them up to speed and then do annual performance appraisals because many employees just don't stay there that long. Uh, I was at ATD 21 International Conference this week, and um, I attended one session that was a, a study that had just been released. And one thing jumped out at me, and that is that early career workers, uh, th- their mindset is that you should not stay at one place more than two to three years or you'll become stagnant. So that that's a little bit different uh, thinking in terms of, of many of us that have been in the workforce for you know 30 or 40 years. And, and, you know, it, it's just the opposite. It used to be you want, you didn't want to stay anywhere less than three or four years or you would get a reputation as a job hopper. And now it's kind of flip-flopped, right? So we have to, in some cases, just throw away our old system and reinvent how we're doing performance management and make it more organic. And in that same mindset um, applies, for example, to learning. How do, how do people learn their jobs? Well, they, they don't we need we probably need to be getting away from the idea that you're going to go to trainings every so often and maybe once every six months or a year or whenever a, a new software or a procedure uh, or maybe a new regulation that, that we have to comply with comes out and looking at how to make this an organic process to where we're not periodically retraining people or reskilling people or having to upskill people and dealing with these skill gaps that have occurred because we haven't been doing any training for five years and make that an ongoing organic part of the workforce where people are learning a little bit every single week, maybe a little bit every day on their job. And performance is is similar, making it an organic part of the, of the job. And that, that word trust is key also because th- this type of performance management and even what I said about Netflix in terms of, of the vacation policy, this all really weighs or hinges heavily on trust that goes both ways. The, the, the team members need to be able to trust the leadership and the leadership needs to be able to trust the team members for this all to work. 
Yeah, when the pandemic forced a lot of companies to go remote, the conversation was how, you know, how can I, you know, if, if my employees, if I can't see what they're doing all day, how can, how do I know they're going to get the work done? And Steve Pegler, who was on our podcast a few episodes ago, uh, said his question back to those managers was, well, if you didn't trust them, why did you hire them in the first place? And, uh, and it goes back to, like you said earlier, hiring the right people and putting them in the right environment. Work used to be someplace that you would go. <laughs> and now work is not necessarily someplace that you go. It's something that you do. And again, the, some of this depends on the company and the type of work. Uh, you know, if you're working in a warehouse, it, you have to be there to do the work, right? But many, many jobs, and particularly those work-at-home jobs, uh, that's a concept that was really resisted for many years by people who just thought, well, we, you know, they're going to be goofing off. They're not going to be doing their job. You know, they're going to be sleeping late and, and they're not, and they're going to be watching TV and, or, or out on the fishing boat when they should be working. But, but we know and the pandemic has showed us that uh, remote work can be very productive and there are ways to manage effectively a distributed remote workforce or a hybrid workforce. But the systems that we have in place still at many companies with, um, how we manage people, how we do performance appraisals, you know, they weren't designed for this type of workforce. It's a little bit like if you have a computer problem, bring in a toolbox with a set of socket wrenches to fix it. You know, it's, we, we need new tools for, for uh, a, a different situation. Yeah. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode nine and enter the keyword CRUISE. That's C-R-E-W-S. On Thursday, September 30th, I'll be hosting a free webinar entitled Beyond Values, Building an Ethical Business Environment. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of business recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this program after September 30th, you can still watch the recording of that webinar, as well as any of our previous webinars, on our website for credit, for free. And now back to my conversation with Derek Cruz. The, uh, the, the job description has been like the roadmap for a long time. Okay, here's your job description. If you can do what's in the job description, you're good. Um, but really... Uh, and I, I was in healthcare HR 20 plus years ago, and we were talking about competencies back then. But now outside of healthcare, I'm seeing a lot of employers focus more on competencies and, um, and, and you know, a, a pathway across somebody's career for developing these different competencies and compensation even tied to that. Can you talk a little bit about how employers are uh, in, you know, maybe less technical organizations like, you know, healthcare is pretty technical or engineering, those kind of things where you, you think about competencies, but how in maybe less, you know, technical roles, their employers are using competencies to uh, manage performance? Sure. Well, <clears throat> we've seen uh, competencies come in in several aspects. One is, and it probably started really with training and certifications and building um, 
training models around competencies. But it has now started to work into job descriptions and job descriptions can change. They do change just on a regular basis. That old idea of uh, one sheet of paper where you list all the job duties uh, is is really kind of another outdated concept and we need to begin to think about it more organically. But um, one caveat to that is there are some things that HR still has to identify, and typically that's on a job description, and that's, for example, essential job functions. How do you comply with ADA without knowing what the essential job functions are? So I don't want to imply that that we can just do away with that altogether. But in terms of uh, learning and in terms of performance management, uh, that's where competencies can be very, very helpful. Also, another aspect of competencies that that is helpful is competencies usually relate to more than one job. So it gets you out of this idea of thinking about what a job is. A job isn't necessarily a title and a set of duties. Uh, Many jobs have similar competencies that run across an organization. And an employee, uh, if they have certain competencies, they're very flexible and they can move around the organization. It also gets us away from thinking about this career ladder where you come in in an organization. And in fact, you've seen these these pyramid structures where you come into an organization at the bottom level and then here's the next promotion and then here's the next one and here's the next one. And everyone wants to be at the top of of the pyramid. And there's only a few positions at the top of the pyramid. Uh, So then we started, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we started hearing this concept of a career uh, lattice where where maybe you can make lateral moves across the organization and you can keep employees engaged that way. And now we're starting to hear uh, more about these career jungle gyms where uh, it's not about necessarily climbing an organization. It's about developing a set of competencies and you can just move around within an organization and and it might not even be about a, a job title at all. It's about here's a project that needs to be done and you're going to go work on that project. And when you're done with that, then maybe there's another project that you're going to be working on. So the, the nature of what we think of as a job itself is changing and performance appraisals, um, talent development, learning models, um, job descriptions, all of these things really go back. Uh, you can trace most of them back to the industrial revolution and, and it's time to, to have a complete overhaul in, in many ways. And, and much of that is we've seen these little trends uh, for years, but it, it was, uh, uh, we, we just hit the gas on it with the pandemic. And we are probably, I, I would guess, we may be 20 years down the road where we would have been otherwise on some of these things without the pandemic accelerating it, particularly when it comes to distributed remote work. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's that's interesting because that's how we, our compensation has been set up for for a long time for my analysts, which is the majority of our employees. It's all competency based, and they know pretty much know what everybody else is making because we're real transparent about how compensation is tied to competencies. And the more competencies they have, the more they they know if I can get this competency, even if it's not a competency I'm going to use on a, an ongoing basis in my current role. Once they test it out for that competency and demonstrated that competency we're going to pay them for it because that makes them more valuable to us in the event that somebody's out sick or leaves and we have to shuffle people around to get the work out the door. I know I've got these folks who 
I'm paying more maybe, you know, for competencies that they aren't always using, but they're worth every nickel of it the minute I need that competency mm -hmm. to be put in place. What um, are, how are employees' expectations of employers changing? I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, they don't want to go stagnant. And so they're willing to jump ship in three or four years. Um, right. But, you know, so what are the other, what are the expectations? If an employer really wants to retain those great employees and get them not to, you know, not to lose that investment as they go on to another place, uh, what are the, what expectations should employers be expecting to have to meet on the employee's part? Well, you mentioned earlier, I had, published a book that came out the first of this year, Mastering Human Resource Management. And one of the things that makes that book distinctive from every other HR textbook, and that is an undergraduate HR textbook, but makes it distinctive from the other books on the market is uh, focused on employee engagement. So most HR textbooks are written from the perspective of the front of HR, right? Of what I need to do in order uh, to protect and advance the organization and look out for the organization's interest. And employee engagement looks at that from the other perspective. So uh, I have an entire chapter on employee engagement, and that's really what you're talking about is how do we keep employees engaged and what do employees want from their employer? What do they want from their work? And I'll talk about this more at the conference. There, it's, it's, um, it, I, I would probably be going for another 30 minutes on just on this topic alone, but I'll just I'll touch on two things, okay? And uh, the first one is we've talked about a little bit. And in, in the research studies recently, one of the things that they want the most is trust. And then uh, the other one that uh, is right at the top is work-life balance. And when employers think about employee engagement, it's helpful to ask, well, what do you really mean by that? What does employee engagement look like? And typically the, the answers that we get in research and, and from employers is employee engagement looks like performance. It's outcomes. Engaged employees perform well. And that's true, but it's only one aspect, one of three aspects of employee engagement. There's, a, uh, there's actually three aspects to it, three dimensions of it. There's a cognitive dimension, there's an emotional dimension, and there's a behavioral dimension. And that cognitive piece has to do with how employees are, think about their job. Uh, and some of that is is peer to peer. Some of it's you know what are, what are people what are their coworkers saying about it? Uh, what are people on social media saying about what it's like to work at that company? And then the emotional aspect of it has to do with, does that employee identify with that organization? Do they have a sense of belonging? Do they have positive uh, attitudes towards that organization? Do they feel that that organization values them as a person? And then the third one is that performance piece. So employee engagement involves um, something that we think, something that we feel, and then also something that we do. And when I work with companies on engagement, uh, we uh, there's two different surveys I use. One is called a Gallup Q12 to kind of get a baseline on those things. What do employees think about the company? How do they feel about working there? And, and for some people, you might think, well, that's just that, that's great. That's a touchy feely thing. But I want performance. And yes, you do want performance, but it's all it all works together. Uh, the cognitive, the emotional and the behavioral piece. But what we do know for sure, just from uh, from studies that have come out just in the few months, that at the very top of what employees want, of course, pay pay is always there, right? <laughs> we're not we're not volunteers; we're working for an income, right? Uh, but but uh, also at the top are trust and work life balance. 
And I'm sure you're going to have to unpack a lot more of that at the uh, Fort Worth HR Strategic Mindset Conference on September 17th. But that's all the time we have today. Thank you for joining us, Derek. Thank you for having me, Mike. I look forward to the conference. And you can register for the Fort Worth HR Strategic Mindset Conference at fwhr.org. And again, that's on September 17th. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Katie Bautista, keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, please don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, share with others. Have a great week.